Hey there, and welcome to Therapy FAQ. I'm your host, Tom Paulus. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to get a word from our sponsors. The first sponsor is myself, Thomas Paulus Therapy, Therapy for Business. Did you know organizations and businesses need therapy too? It's true. Most businesses aren't struggling because they have the wrong product, the wrong service, or a bad cause. They suffer from unconscious people problems, and they need someone to help them see what's getting in the way. They need someone to help an executive see their omnipotence, masochism, or rescuing behavior. They need someone who will show an employee how they're engaging in unconscious, passive-aggressive behavior. And they need someone who will do all this in a way that leads to resolution and taps inner motivation and restores the focus and shared vision. In some cases, they need someone that will help them see that it's time to part ways. Stop wasting time and money on conscious solutions to unconscious problems and get therapy for business. Email me to set up an easy psychodiagnostic interview at tom at thomaspulsetherapy.com. I'm currently partnering with one to two organizations I believe in at a time. Need a full workup? No problem. Thanks to my colleague, Dr. Rebecca Showalter, we can reach deep and leverage the power of heavy-duty assessments like the Rorschach and the MMPI where needed. That's Thomas Paulus Therapy, Therapy for Business. Our second sponsor is ISTDP San Diego. If you're a licensed or associate therapist, ISTDP San Diego invites you to come and see what their community is all about. ISTDP San Diego offers trainings with world-renowned therapists like Alan Abbas, Patricia Coughlin, John Fredrickson, Steve Shapiro, and more. Visit us at istdpsandiego.com to learn about upcoming trainings. There's a special three-day immersion with Dr. Alan Abbas, MD, coming up on bringing structural change in the fragile patient. I highly recommend these trainings. Again, that's istdpsandiego.com. Finally, our last sponsor is EmotionFit, emotionfit.us. You take care of your physical fitness, but what are you doing for emotional fitness? Mental health is often clouded in mystery and stigma. EmotionFit is here to change that. EmotionFit shows you the cause of your emotional pain and coaches you through corrective emotional exercises to enhance your emotional fitness. Book a meeting with an emotional fitness expert to get tailored exercises to meet your emotional capacity and coach your emotional form. Go to emotionfit.us. And before I forget, please stick around at the end of the episode for a special treat from Justin Turnus of True Self Health. I hear lots of noise, but I don't see any other movement in the background. Speak to my senses. Don't need no Okay, welcome back to Therapy FAQ, episode two. Um, this is our second episode. I've got Dr. Jarvanen on the line here. Um, if you need an introduction to Dr. Jarvanen, check out episode one or look in the show notes. Um, so episode two, the question of the day, I'm going to get the drum roll going here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Can't wait. What is it going to be? <laughs> Here's the question, and this one is, is well, I'll give it to you straight, and then we can 
do the commentary. But yeah. uh, I'm in therapy. Why don't I feel I'm getting better? Mm. Okay. Uh huh. Such a big so, topic. So yeah. many people run into that, you know. As you start on that, yeah. What what comes to you first on this? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting the outcomes in terms of like uh, therapy helps a lot of people. That's definitely clear in terms of the research. But it's also clear that there's a big chunk of people that aren't helped by therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a small chunk of people that therapy makes things worse. Absolutely. You know, and why is that? You know, and what can we do about that to try to improve it so that the great majority and more and more and more people are benefited and not hurt by it? Yep. You know? And not knowing more of these examples, do, you, do any hypotheses come to you why somebody might ask you this question uh, just offhand? Like, hmm, why might they not? Any kind of as usual suspects, uh, if you will. In terms of why they're not getting better? Yeah. Yeah. What are some things that you've seen pretty regularly? Yeah. So, and this is what we kind of alluded to in, in episode one. So if you haven't listened to it, you know, check it out, but it's, you, you actually have to address the internal factors that are contributing to and causing your symptoms. What would those if, be like feelings? Anxiety? So, yep. For example, if something happens and it triggers a trauma response inside of you, that spikes your anxiety and then leads you down a rabbit hole of worries and obsessions, Which are then you have, yep. you have to find some way of addressing that trauma response. Otherwise, your symptoms aren't going to improve. You can talk about it all day, but you actually have to intervene on the trauma response and change your nervous system reaction to it in order to actually get better. And that's where it takes another level of training to know how to, how to actually do that. Right, and what you're talking about is there's a whole series of feelings about, it's not just the trauma. People know now that trauma is really important. Uh, most people do, uh, many people okay. do, I would say. And it's true, it's, su yeah. it's huge development. But uh, it's also the feelings about the trauma, uh, the way you get anxious about those feelings, the way that uh, we learn to defend and avoid those feelings unconsciously totally. in ways that can be massively counterproductive and create symptoms. Maybe it helped us in the past at the time of the event, but not anymore. It kind of recreates problems now. Um, yep. And each of those steps, can they see the unconscious way they avoid and how that creates their symptoms? Can they yep. see how anxious they are? Because if they're too anxious, actually, you don't have any, you shouldn't be even going close to it trauma, you need to regulate anxiety so that they can kind of be at a, a place where they can do some work on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Is Absolutely. this fair to say? A hundred percent. It's, you know, if you think about like, uh, you know, somebody, I like to use a lot of like physical health analogies because it, it, you know, with emotional emotion health, fit. And, emotion fit, emotion fits my thing, man. Dot so, US. Emotion fit. Dot US. Dot US. Dot us. If you're into community okay. and that yep. kind of thing. Us. Okay. I got it. Yep. So, so check us out. But, um, you know, the, the, it's like, if you're, if you're trying to squat a, a, a barbell and you're trying to squat down and stand back up, but every time you do, you get a terrible pain in your knee and it kills your ability to lift the weight effectively because you have this huge pain in your knee. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't mm -hmm. just tell somebody, well, just keep keep doing it and hope it's going to get better. No. 
you have to have somebody who can walk you through, oh, this is the cause of the pain in your knee. Your knee is turning inward and it's pressing on these different ligaments and joints. And this is what the cause of your pain. And now this is what you can do. You actually need to put your knee in this position when you squat in order to not have pain and actually get a good power output. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're trying to do in therapy is somebody's got some kind of emotional pain or anxiety or depression and they don't know why and they can't see it and they right. can't understand it. And, and unless they have somebody who can help them see it, look at it, break it down, understand it, mm -hmm. you know, and then actually address it with a, with a cure, you know, a knee out instead of a knee in, for example, then it's just not going to get better. And they're going to be spinning their wheels, you know, and they might actually even get in more pain by going to therapy, you know, just yeah. like you get in more pain by continuing to exercise a bad motor pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think there's like a couple different groups. Like there's a group that might uh, suffer more because uh, the therapist is not very attuned to anxiety. For example, I remember on my internship, uh, there was sure. a patient that before I knew much about anxiety was hitting thresholds that I didn't mm. know to watch, you know, but also I remember there was a patient that somebody else would see and every session they had to run and use the bathroom. Yeah. Well, they do. Oh, they they had to throw up. They had to use the bathroom. They had diarrhea. They were having smooth muscle anxiety, hitting their threshold, really miserable. Somehow, this brave patient continued to come back, but the therapist wasn't attuned to that. It's actually too emotionally loaded. And yep. we talk about optimal anxiety because there's another group where you're not getting anxious enough. You're not facing. Uh, what you avoid that's causing your problems. You're not facing the feelings that have been avoided because you're just talking about them or externalizing or the therapist may be providing a defense. Oh, it'll be okay. You'll be fine. You know, trying to yep. encourage the patient who actually came to face something uh, yep. you know, to talk about it and, and to get into those nitty gritty details. I mean, a lot early on in therapy, I was providing defenses uh, and I didn't know oh, oh, I need to be sure. working with these defenses and inviting what they're being, what's being defended against in a managed way. That's not flooding them. Uh, but that is a little uncomfortable. Well, because, and that's where most people, it's such a good point. What you're saying, Tom, that's where most people it's, it's easier to just stay in the defenses and stay away. It's hard to lift a lot of weight, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. you go to the gym to lift weight, but it's hard, you know? And so most you people are on the weights, man. You Watch know, if they know. can just avoid it, whatever they, they, they will. Yeah. And a lot of therapists go along with it. You know, it's like, okay, I don't want to deal with that to really yeah. push a person. Right. But, but that's where you need somebody. And this is where, you know, again, it's a higher level of training. You don't just get this in grad school. You know, you have yeah. to seek out this kind of training, but you have to know how to, how to taper the dose of your work so that it's at a level that a patient can actually manage. Right. And again, a lot of these things are invisible. It's one thing if you put a bunch of weight on somebody's back and they try to squat down and they can't get up, it's okay, that was too yeah. much weight. Right. But you often can't see that just with your eyes unless you're trained what to see, which is what you're saying about smooth muscle and cognitive perceptual disruption and these signs that someone is actually too flooded in terms of their nervous system and their anxiety. Right. And so that we, in order to get better in therapy, you need somebody who can help you kind of change the dose so it's a challenge for you but not pushing you beyond what you can do in a way that's going to further injure you or cause more symptoms 
Absolutely. Yes. And therapists yeah. often find themselves trying to rescue the patient in their distress, which is an understandable response instead of helping them bear the distress uh, and, and helping them rise to their highest capacity yeah. and not beyond it either, though. That's, that's what you're saying about the optimal level of anxiety, that you can err on either side. You can be right. too much, too much challenge, too flooding, you know, yeah. too overwhelming for a person and they can have more symptoms. Right. Or you can err on the other side and be too avoidant, use too many defenses, too, too light of pressure or too light of dose of, of what you're trying to work on together. And then you're not getting any better. Right. You know, so it's it's finding an optimal amount where you're challenged, but you can kind of hang in there. Okay. Let me give you a little vignette, actually, uh, for because I think this will really put uh, nuts and bolts together. For so uh, there are different types of patients that we're aware of. We know how to classify these things differently. But yeah, imagine a patient. Tell me what you think about this. Imagine a patient Great. who comes into therapy, talks about the problems, even cries. Uh, uh-huh is able, is, is tearful, has some grief come through, but ends up feeling kind of hopeless, Mm -hmm. ends up feeling kind of discouraged. Uh, And they're talking about their trauma. They're talking about things. They have some hope that they're getting to things, but ultimately leaves therapy typically feeling a bit depressed. Uh, What would you say is happening there probably, Matt? And and is that person going to make progress in therapy if it goes on like this? I mean, not necessarily. Uh, it reminds me of, I, I had a, uh, well, one of our good friends from college uh, was in a very difficult relationship, very conflictual relationship uh-huh. um, with, with his partner. And, uh, and she was going to therapy like every day. She was a therapist in training. She was going to therapy every day. Yeah. Every session, she was bawling her eyes out. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then he said, yeah. but everything stayed the same in our relationship. We right. still had the same old fights, the same old conflict, the same old problems. Legitimately no progress is, that was visible in some ways. Des, despite, you know, emotional outpourings every session. Right. Right. And so why is that? Yeah. How, how does that happen? And how do we understand the differences? Yeah. How would um, you explain that just to break this down for somebody so that maybe yeah. this person out there, because I guess what would you say? This is maybe 20% of your caseload could go down this road, maybe more. Sure. Maybe more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, up to if a third, you didn't I'd know say. what was going on here that was holding up the process. Yeah. What would you say is happening here? Yeah. So again, it's difficult because, you know, emotions in a way are kind of invisible. It's one thing to just look at somebody's knee and see structurally what's going on, but right. you know, that's where it can be hard on us. But, but, but the, the thing to, to look at is there's, core affects, there's core emotions that always have an adaptive action tendency or some healing urge or impulse that Mm -hmm. feels restorative. Like love, anger, guilt. Love, anger, guilt, grief, you know, and people know what a good cry feels like. You know, it feels like a release. It feels like a weight off. It feels like, ah, okay, I needed to get that out compassion for themselves, for other people. Exactly. More connected to themselves, more connected to other people. Yeah. Right. And that's a good thing. And so that if people got to that, you're, you're thinking, okay, good outcomes are going to come from this. And the research would support that. You run into someone who looks tearful in some of the same kind of ways, but they feel hopeless afterwards. 
right? Which is what you're describing. And they yep. feel down and they feel a bit judgmental towards themselves right. or a bit negative or like a victim. And it just makes them feel worse, right? Okay, right. now that's not a core affect because core emotions lead us forward. Yeah. Other real maladaptive- grief through. Real grief is coming through. I'm saying there is some real grief coming through. What's might be, there? Yeah, might be real grief. And there might be other emotions connected to that real grief, like anger, for example, like guilt, like other pieces that also need to get processed in order to actually go to healing. What's your guess about what's holding that up? Holding up those other pieces? Um, my guess is that has something to do with anger getting internalized and leading to hopelessness. That's uh-huh. my guess. So the anger is probably getting turned inward. Turned inward. And they, they have a little flash of anger start to come up after the grief, but then that goes back down and they just lean into the grief more. But now it starts feeling hopeless or helpless or depressive or things like that. Uh-huh. And that's where these emotions are are all linked in a way. It's like your knee being connected to your hip, being connected to your ankle and all, you know, all these things kind of connect to each other. And that's where helping somebody process the grief, but then also the anger about the thing that they're having grief about. And also the guilt they have about the anger. That's where kind of working all these pieces through. So none of them are causing symptoms is what we try to help people with. If they tend to use a defense and turn the anger on themselves, then they're not going to feel as much progress with the grief. Okay, very okay. quick other uh, scenario because we only have about two minutes left. Uh, suppose uh, you're like somebody I know very well. I'm not naming any names, but uh, you know, if I happen to go into therapy and I was like, mm, I don't know, and I was leaning back in my chair, and uh, yeah. you know, I talked to the therapist about my problems, uh, but I didn't, and you know, I'm looking away from them, and I'm just kind of avoiding yeah. contact. Yeah. You know, what might be causing me to not, you know, I go in weekly and I just don't really feel anything. I go in there hoping to have a feeling and I just feel nothing. What's, what's going on there? Oh man, I, I resonate, I resonate with this. Um, no, so, so it's one thing to face your feelings and process your feelings, but you gotta, you gotta, um, you know, in order to deal with what's in your basement or your unconscious, uh-huh. you have to let somebody through the front door. Oh, and- I'm letting them in, Matt. I'm talking. I'm, yeah, no, it's really hard growing up. Yeah. Yeah. So you notice how when you're talking, Tom, you're kind of looking all over the place and huh? you're yeah, sitting back and appearing yeah. a bit more emotionally uninvolved. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I see that. Yeah. So, so this is one of the things we might say to point out a person's uh, emotional detachment from us mm-hmm. and that, you know, probably a third, maybe more patients come in and that's their real problem. It's not so much that they have emotions that they're needing to process. It's that they really wall off from people and that mm-hmm. keeps their emotions locked away and keeps them from being able to heal and process things. And they don't know it, right? It's uncommon. They have no idea. But no their problem. relationships suffer. They suffer. Uh, there are other groups of patients we should get into as well, but I just thought, I thought that was super helpful just to get get a felt sense for what that looks like maybe. Yeah, 
Yeah, and why, okay, why would somebody wall off and close off and even when they're not trying to do it, you know, and how can we help them see that in a compassionate way and help them overcome it? Yeah, very yeah. cool. Well, Matt, uh, we have nine seconds. I think we've reached a great stopping point, but uh, yeah, that's just an effort to start looking at, yeah, why people get stuck in therapy. Uh, feel free to reach out to any of us and we're out of time. All right. Welcome to One Minute of Breath. May we begin by sitting up tall, taking a deep breath in, holding for a moment, exhale all the way out, let it go. Beautiful, another deep breath in, bigger this time, deeper in, hold. And as you hold, connect to your heart, Make yourself strong and rooted. Exhale, let it go. Three breaths fast in, out, in, out. One more breath in, hold once more. And let it go. Thank you for giving yourself the gift of breath.